Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 10. We're going to be joining you every week to talk IT career, news, and opinions based on our points of view. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, it's going great, John. I don't know about you, but I've been following the Wimbledon tennis tournament very closely to see if Roger Federer can repeat another major Greatest of all time, if you ask me. Yeah, so I have a pretty strong opinion of that, and uh, I have I have no idea what's going on in Wimbledon. Yeah, I was I was just about to watch the uh, the there's a dramatization of uh, Bjorn Borg and uh, John McEnroe back in like 1980 or something. Mm-hmm. I actually remember that match. I'm that old. Well, yeah, I mean you're pushing 60, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not that there would be anything wrong with that. Right, right. We're not ageist on this podcast. But hey, I just want to make sure everybody knows we're both VMware solutions engineers, so our topics are definitely going to have a data center slant. Hopefully our career discussions will be relevant across disciplines and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm still liking that entry. I think that uh, maybe we can make it like more explicit. If people have uh, career questions, you know, they can definitely uh, drop us a DM or tweet at us. Yeah. Um, I think we'll both publish our LinkedIn, you know, every in any way that you want to get people want to get in touch with us and ask us career questions, which uh, we can be uh, kind of generalized to the, uh, to all the IT people out there, um, we'll get them to us and we'll try to incorporate them into the show. We would be happy to speak our opinions on whatever your idea is, I think is what John is saying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So episode 10, um, we're going to go over a couple topics here. Um, number one, Nick Cordy, seven-month check-in with Nick as a solutions engineer at VMware. Um, so we're going to talk about those seven months and what's he's, what he's experienced. And then number two, imposter syndrome. Uh, that's come up in uh, the blogosphere, the, the V blogosphere recently, uh, including a, uh, an article by Nick uh, and one uh, by Cody Darkland. So we want to uh, kind of talk about uh, this idea of imposter syndrome and, and react to it and, and give some uh, feedback and advice out there. So. Uh, those are the two main topics. Uh, if we have some extra time, we might jam some other stuff in there, but that's the main, uh, main things that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, that good for you, Nick? That works for me. Excellent. So, uh, topic number one, seven month check-in Nick Cordy at VMware. That is not your email address. Mm. Just in case people are saying, I'm just saying that you've been here at VMware for seven months. And I just wanted to check in. And uh, I know that you're coming from more of a individual contributor IT operations role, um, straight to VMware as a systems engineer, now renamed position solutions engineer. Uh, what's what's that been like, that transition from the operations side to the vendor side? It's been good. It's been interesting. It's been a massive learning experience. I tell you what, man, it's like I've been plugged into the matrix. 
you know, I, there were a couple of guys that started on the team and, you know, I offered some help and said, Hey, I'm the next newest new guy. I'd be happy to tell you whatever I know, tell you how to get started, give you some advice if you want it or if you don't. And when they asked me, what is an SE? What do you do? I told them no one can be told what the matrix is. That's how I describe it. So it it's a, it's a different life, man, but it's a good life. I, I'm really enjoying it. I, I feel like time has sped up at some point in February or March time began to go much faster. I don't know if it's because, you know, school let out and we're in the summer now and my daughter's going into third grade or what, but it's like time just went really fast, but it's, it's been a great experience. I think every single person that I've talked to who works for VMware and has worked with me in some way has been more than happy to help. I, I haven't met anyone who, you know, wasn't willing to help me with something if I, if I needed it and I've needed a lot of help. Trust me, John. <laughs> yeah. I'm familiar with the feeling. It's the, uh, the proverbial uh, drinking water through a fire hose, right? Yes. Um, you think you know VMware and then you come to work for VMware and you go, oh no, I thought I knew what VMware was all about. And even just thinking about the products, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there. I was thinking, geez, you know, I I, I remember when I first joined, I, I'd kind of put um, the end user computing side of the business on the shelf and said, well, that's a whole thing that, you know, I could, you know, that's going to double the complexity of what I know. And so I just won't think about it and refer to somebody else. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have to be the expert at it, or at least more of an expert than anybody else that you're talking to. And it's like, oh, geez, I can't just leave that as a blind spot anymore. Right. You know, whatever, whatever part of the business you're thinking about. So. Yeah, you're you're so right. I thought I knew stuff about VMware, and I came here, and I know nothing about VMware technology. So, <laughs> <laughs> having to learn the whole product line, like you said, I don't know if people know, but we are what are called core solutions engineers. So we are responsible for discussing the entire product line with customers at a you know about a two hundred level. So we're a generalist. We do have specialists, but. You know, that's a lot of ground to cover as the company grows and the product line develops for sure. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, it's, uh, I think the the acceptance at a certain point that you can't know everything about everything is one of those, um, it's it's an interesting process to to let go of the idea of being the know-it-all, right? Oh, so you already like Especially when... Oh, I let go of that a long time ago. <laughs> I can I can maintain the know-it-all attitude, but uh, not actually know it all and actually be okay with it. That that's a I think a really important part of uh, being a good um, being a good SE. I think is to to know when to honestly be able to say, you know, I don't know the answer to that question, um, but I can find out for you. Like I know exactly where to find out the answer to that question. Right. <laughs> and it's not in my brain, but I know whose brain it's locked up in. Exactly. Right? I, I'm totally with you and you don't have yeah. to do it all. Yeah. It'd be really yeah. cool if you could, but I'm, I can't. <laughs> Literally nobody can. Literally nobody. <laughs> um, so uh, any big surprises coming to the company? Um, you know, we all have expectations um, but you know, you know, positive surprises, negative surprises. 
Um, anything pop into your mind? I think, as I mentioned before, one of the surprises was, you know, the just willingness to help of other people at the company, whether directly working with me all the time or people in different business units who may be specialists in products. They were they were willing to let me learn from them and and ask questions that maybe I should have known the answer to. And they were, you know, never, never put me down, anything like that. Another thing that I was really surprised with is the amount of training that the company wants us to have. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you come from internal IT and a lot of times the department does not have a big training budget. You know, you're, you're not going to get it unless you ask for it and insist upon it. And you have to sell right. it to the business, but whereas us, it's it's important to the business that we are trained up and educated on the different things the company is selling, the direction we're going. So I love yeah. that, man. Yeah, that's actually it's it's funny because I had that teed up in case you um, uh, didn't have anything specific. I, I definitely remember telling you when I first joined the company, and you hadn't joined yet. Um, when I went through a couple uh, quarterly training cycles, where at the beginning of every, each quarter, they take us out of the field for a week just to do like, I don't know, 20 to 40 hours of training in a week. And I mean, my mind was kind of blown just, you know, afterwards, right? Like I thought I'd come from positions before where they wanted us to, you know, continue to learn, but just the, the volume of just new stuff at VMware, Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can't, if it, if you've never experienced it, it's probably difficult to imagine because I couldn't imagine in, yeah. in a previous role, Hey Nick, we're going to take you out of the help desk or whatever it is for a whole week. And we want you to just focus on this thing. Usually it's, we want you to just focus on this thing, but do everything else you, you need to do too. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Whereas in this case, you have air cover from your management supporting you to do just that. Focus on yeah. what you need to learn. Yeah. And they're actually starting to ask us to block it off on our calendar, mm -hmm. like, you know, 100 days ahead of time. So there's almost no excuse, right? Absolutely. I mean, hey, it's blocked off. I mean, and, and stuff happens, right? They, you know, things happen where you go, oh, geez, you know, I had no idea that, you know, or the customer says like, this is the one week our CIO can come in and talk about, Oh, great. You know, we'll, we'll make it happen. But, right. uh, but in general, like the default is, you know, the training is the priority and that's, it's pretty amazing to like be part of an organization where, you know, from the C levels to the VPs, like, you know, they're saying, listen, this is the most important thing, you know, right now for you to be doing. Right. I can see why that that's a big surprise. And I think we talked about this shortly after I came on board and started doing some of this training in my dedicated training plan that was waiting for me when I joined. And <laughs> I can only equate it to being sat down in front of an all you can eat buffet and someone saying, you can eat all the food you want, but you better be able to wear your pants tomorrow because you don't get bigger pants. <laughs> right eat everything you want but you also better be working off those calories too exactly yeah yeah no that's a really good analogy um because you can die you could literally put you know 40 hours of training on your your own agenda every week mm -hmm. for you know an entire year in the archives right because there's lots of training archives oh yeah um and just go and go and go and you could, you know, 
not do your job and just do training. And that's <laughs> not good. <laughs> yeah. I have to find that balance. Yeah. I mean, if we didn't have to sleep, it'd be easier, but I don't, I don't see a way around that. Maybe some people could do, do it. Not recommend. <laughs> do not recommend that. Um, anything like that is explicitly better than you thought it would be. Um, I would say that the management style is different in a way that I've never experienced. The, sure. the managers are, from what I've seen, are taught to more coach you than say, hey, let's let's do these five things. It's more of a, hey, what's going on? How can I help you? What do we need to talk through so that you can get better? And, right. you know, maybe maybe managers at your previous jobs have been trying to approach it that way, but I, I don't feel like I've ever had it approached that way just because we were so deep in the details and we had our, you know, top five projects that we were working on from management and that's what we needed to focus on. And that's all we did. Sure. Hopefully sure. that makes some logical sense to the people listening. And that's not a knock on any of my previous managers. If you're listening here, that's not intended to be that way. It's just, it's just different. I I didn't know what to expect. I kind of went into that with no expectations. And the very first one-on-one with my boss, I'm like, well, that was really different than I expected it to be because I didn't know what I expected it to be. <laughs> yeah. Even just the idea of having like a regularly scheduled one-on-one with my boss that actually happened yeah. was kind of a, <laughs> was a, a better than I thought it would be for me. <laughs> There's the key phrase it, that actually happened. Right, right. Priority from both sides, right? Well, and in in both of our cases, our managers, you know, they do not work in the same area as we do, geographically speaking. So if we don't talk on the phone, we're probably not going to see each other. And and I think maybe you and I are in um, slightly different situations, at least like, like my manager and I live within like 45 minutes to an hour of each other. Um, and there is a VMware office that's local to both of us that we could meet up, but it's not like we go to an office and, and like sit at desks within, you know, a hundred meters of each other. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or in the same building. Right. That's a, that's a big um, contrast. And, and so maybe part of it is that like maybe organizations that, you know, have field personnel that are, you know, the manager is, you know, not sitting at a desk near you, like automatically drives to a different management style. Um, I suppose it could be that, but um, I, I mean, I'll, I will say that I've gone through the VMware manager 101 training mm-hmm. here and that coaching thing that you mentioned is an explicit call out there, you know, rather than um, it, it's an explicit thing that you should uh, managers at VMware don't just shouldn't or are trying not to just solve problems for the um the reports right it's it's almost like oh you're you need some help uh what is it that you've done uh what are you trying to do like what are the things you know do you think you could do um do you need my support in in something rather than immediately saying oh hey here's how to solve that right and if you (laughs) if you specifically ask for hey can you recommend a way that I might could approach this? And your manager might say, well, I might try this, but that's not necessarily the only way to, to do what you right. need or maybe contact mm-hmm. so-and-so. Sometimes they just need to point you in the right direction and let you take it from there. Right. Right. And uh, I think the philosophy behind that is to help employees grow. 
mm-hmm. right? Rather than uh, because it might be a manager might be able to solve a you know this one problem faster, um, you know, by doing it one time. But what's more important is the employee uh, learn how to you know go through that process um, and self-solve and grow and and be empowered to do those things, you know, to find your own way. I mean, in that specific example that you mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, a, a manager and a report might do things differently because they have different personalities and have different support and different backgrounds. And so they might solve problems differently. So for someone to say, oh, I'd probably just, you know, like a manager might say, yeah, I might just talk to the vice president of that business unit and just ask that question. And you're like, ooh. Right. (laughs) That just never occurred to me to do. Sure. Or um, that's not how I'm going, you know, I might have like a different level that I, you know, call into. Um, But just even the suggestion of the, or the audacity to, to, to go that direction is, uh, you know, just plant seeds. Sure. And honestly, that's something that we could dig into in a future podcast. You know, what should a typical one-on-one consist of and how does that change based on, geographical location, culture of the company, department yeah. you're in, et cetera. There you go. Topics on the fly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, if you're trying to to advance your career, what should you be asking for in a one-on-one? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a that's a really good idea. It's, it's interesting because, you know, I had a manager um, who would, and maybe I said this on the podcast before, but, you know, he, he said, Hey, you know, the, these one-on-ones that, you know, you're putting on the calendar, you own the agenda. That's what he told me. John, this is your agenda. Um, so it's really for you to bring issues to my attention, you know, positive, negatives, things that you might, you know, need my help to solve problems on. And I'll talk them through with you. Like if I need something from you, I'll just, I'll drop you a note or I'll give you a call. Like, you know, you don't need to wait for once a week for me to ask you for things. Like this once a week is... Uh, for you to ask, you know, for management help. And that was a big surprise for me. <laughs> well, yeah. And if you're not used to it, you're going, oh, man, I better have some questions to ask because it's supposed <laughs> to be my agenda. Uh, what right. should, should I ask? And you know what? Kind of the night before I have my one-on-ones or at least a little bit before the call that morning, mm-hmm. I try to make sure that I'm making the most of that time. You know, he's he's giving <laughs> yeah, me this yeah. time. I should make sure and and ask some questions that, you know, his insight can guide me on and, and help me with. Yeah. Yeah. As I have these things that that come up during the week and I'll actually add it to the agenda for my weekly one-on-one. Mm-hmm. That's a good um, idea. So, yeah. So my manager can see it and, you know, have time to react to it if they have time at all. Right. So, right. Um, yeah. Um, one, here's another question I have, you know, coming from IT operations, as we both did, you know, to uh, systems engineering, solutions engineering, some companies call it sales engineering. Um, so you're actually inserted into the sales process, right? You're mm-hmm. um, representing VMware as part of a sales team, you know, candidly. Um, you know, we try to separate ourselves from being pure salespeople because there, there's already a role, you know, an account executive, client executive, or, you know, somebody who already, who actually holds like ultimate, you know, sales title. And we're just like technical sidekicks on that. But, you know, uh, IT people, I think in some situations seem to feel like that's like an icky situation to be in, you know, like uncomfortable. 
Um, so how, how have you felt in that? How, how, what did, what did you expect coming in, you know, um, your expectations of sales and then, you know, your reaction now, like what you, your understanding of it and your comfort level with it? Well, first of all, I've cut my hair short to ensure that I can never be seen as a slick back sales guy. <laughs> just to just to make sure people don't have stereotypes about me. It's different. You know, I remember in the interview process asking people asking me about, well, do you have sales experience? And I was like, well, it depends on what you mean. You know, if you're talking about did I sell someone on an idea or a project, then the answer is yes. You know, a lot of that is is being persuasive, but the way I look at it is when you're working the help desk and doing systems administration, your your day-to-day is a lot of times working with users and helping them solve problems, right? Updating right. tickets maybe. So maybe a spice works or something else. So now my ticketing system is a CRM, it's Salesforce. And mm-hmm. I'm still helping people. Every customer to me is someone that I can help. Now, I may not actually be doing the hands-on keyboard work to help them, but if we're talking about a particular product that VMware offers, I, I hope that I'm talking to them about it because it will help them solve a problem. So to me, right. I'm, I'm scratching that itch to help people, you know, even if it does mean that they buy something. Right, right. And I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I'm not selling a customer something they don't need, you know, because if you can't use it, then I don't want to sell it to you. Yeah, yeah. That's a really interesting point. Because I, I, I wouldn't want, uh, I would not have wanted someone to try and sell me something I would never use or wouldn't be beneficial to me when I was a customer. So I, mm-hmm. my hope is by keeping that fresh customer perspective, which I hope I can keep in the long haul, that it will allow me to be more relevant when interacting with customers. Yeah. And I think that we both, you know, we initially met um, via these online community forums, right? The Spiceworks forums. So I I definitely remember in the forums, like, you you know, you're an IT pro giving advice to other IT pros, like selling them on ideas or ways of doing things or organizational systems or, you know, so on and so on, right? Like, hey, you should do things this way. (laughs) And this is, you know, institutional knowledge, um, cultural knowledge within the IT practice, right? It, it feels very similar to me. I, I don't know if, if that um, analogy holds true for you. Oh, I think it's I think it's great. You know, some customers they just want to know right now how can they get off five five? What what processes or steps do they need to go through to get off five five? You know, here's what our environment looks like. How can we make that happen? with the least number of problems. So someone like yourself or me may be engaged to, to talk them through it or send them some collateral blog posts, videos to help them along. And I I think it's very much like what you just said, you know, and you're, you're doing that for the customer and you're probably doing some of the same sort of stuff with the sales reps you're working with because you're trying to help them along too. Yeah. (laughs) You're trying to help them understand, uh, you know, on you know, as as difficult as it is for us, you know, with technical backgrounds to understand everything that VMware is doing to help a salesperson who's never, you know, probably used the product, you know, in most cases 
to understand, you know, what it is that it does and the benefits and, and so on and so forth. Right. Like you're, it's a constant educational process. Absolutely. You're like a translator, yeah. right? Isn't that really what <laughs> yeah. it is? A lot of times. Yeah, definitely. Or the idea of, you know, people come to us and say, listen, I have this problem. How do I solve this problem? And sometimes the answer is a series of steps that they do with what they already own. And sometimes the answer is you need something new. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in those cases, you know, sometimes it's something new from VMware and sometimes it, honestly, it isn't. Right. Right. It's like, hey, I need to, you know, improve this backup process. Well, you know, VMware in general doesn't sell backup software. So, you know, we can, you know, give some guidance about what good backups look like and, and so on and so forth. And then, you know, help them to, you know, select something from, you know, the partner um, universe there. Right. We, so, people appreciate it if you're a truth teller, right? Right, right. Yep. So Definitely. I, some people say it's way different. I don't think it's that different. But I mean, the the lack of 2 a.m. calls to go and check on a, a possible break-in at the facility is nice. <laughs> That's a better than you thought it would be. The, yeah. Uh, honestly, um after about three months of not being on call, I was like, oh, geez, I don't think I could ever go back to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we have our own emergencies, but it yep. generally is not a, like, a, you know, business-threatening emergency, right? <laughs> yeah, not. I don't think I've had any 2 a.m. calls yet. I mean, it may happen, and I'll let you know if it does. <laughs> Right, right. But it's been a very good experience for me and I'm I'm very thankful to to be a part of the company and it's it's an interesting role trying to learn something new every day. Right, right. And so to stay on theme for our podcast and people advancing their IT careers, um looking back, mm-hmm. can you think of things that you could have done for yourself, for enablement, for training, for advancement or whatever to get to this position faster, like, you know, accelerated by a year, two years, three or five years, you know, something like that, that you could have been doing differently. I think if I had been able to maybe shut work off a little more and not just do work for the company all the time that I had spare time, then I mm-hmm. I probably could have spent a little more of that maybe researching and learning new products, standing up a home lab. You know, like if, if I'm targeting VMware specifically, then I probably would have achieved my VCP a couple years previous or maybe sure. gone after a second certification in a different area. Mm. Or you know, started looking at technologies in a, in a home lab that were complementary to the type of technology company I wanted to work for, you know, the yeah, same yeah. ecosystem. So that, that's my thought. And, and those are all, you know, the knowledge of is, is definitely good, but I actually think that some of the interpersonal and sales type experience is good too, because I also did some work. It was on the consulting side. So I was working with customers. I was helping them do statements of work. And in that case, I was the one, one of the folks doing the work, but it was a little more 
on the sales side too. So I did have some exposure mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that goes back to um, the risk that a hiring manager takes on you when, you know, the critical question when hiring an SE is, have you ever, do you have any previous sales experience? What they're really asking you is, have you ever carried a quota? Right. And the answer right. for me was no. Right. Right. Um, and it's an interesting question. And how do you, you know, to be able to say no, but. Right. Yeah. Um, is and, and have like a really compelling answer, truthful and compelling answer after you say, but. Right. So, and those are uh, kind of the things I said before. Mm-hmm, you know, I've sold mm-hmm. an idea, I've sold a project. I persuaded right. someone to do something I think is a good idea with logical yeah, reasoning yeah. behind it. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting because I, I, you know, there's a lot of, <laughs> if I sold like, uh, you know, subscriptions for my local newspaper or the telephone for a year, like that isn't actually directly um, applicable for this job, right? <laughs> so um, just because you've carried a, a sales quota before or been paid for sales doesn't mean that it is, uh, e- even that yes is is not the yes that um, you know, is going to make hiring managers most comfortable. The yes is like, I've been a systems engineer for a different company in, you know, in a closely aligned tech- technology field yeah. to VMware. <laughs> That's the most comfortable, right? Sure. <laughs> um, so. Makes sense. That's That's not generally who we're talking to in these podcasts. You know, most of our audience, I think, is... Um, is the IT generalist who's, you know, thinking about progressing their career and and holding out, you know, the idea of systems engineering, solutions engineering at VMware or a company or vendor like VMware as a possible career path. So, Right. And I, I would say the community is a large part of that too. You know, I, I got into the Spiceworks community, met you, met a lot of other people, started answering questions and posting questions and, you know, got involved in the local community groups, did a couple of speaking sessions here and there. I, I think maybe doing those speaking sessions and getting the experience of public speaking and, and letting people know that, hey, you know something that can be valuable to others, it, it actually does raise your profile and help you get to that next level, so to speak, whether it's going to a vendor or getting that next big job at I really think that that's an essential component of the growth personally. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. The idea of presenting in and doing public presentations earlier, I think is, is so critical. Um, I wish that I had done that earlier. Um, and I, I even had, you know, a high school background in speech and debate. So I felt, you know, better prepared than most and more comfortable, I think probably than most people to get, get up in front of people. But I still remember the first time I did it, I'm for a larger audience, I think at Spice World, uh, um, the Spiceworks conference, I, you know, I look at Pat back at that and I go, Oh, like that was, I don't think that was very good. <laughs> no, it was um, actually it, really good because I was in that session with you and John Nicholson. And, oh, really? And I think if memory serves, you put up like, three slides and each (laughs) slide basically had a picture on it and you told the story and there was no looking at a script and it was amazing. 
So oh, really? if you think okay. that you can't do public speaking, you, sir, are very wrong. <laughs> I just, I think I remember that because that you perfectly described exactly what it was uh, that I did. Um, and that I definitely held that exact thing in my mind. And I think I looked at like maybe feedback cards and it was like, hey, this is exactly the same thing that these guys say in the communities every day. And uh, <laughs> uh, I, I wanted something a little bit more or, or something along those lines. Right. Um, so maybe I took that feedback like a little bit too. I don't know, personally, or maybe I went, oh, yeah, actually, I should be doing more. Like, it should have been building on everything that people have already heard me say, you know, in community forums, you know. But also, yeah, again, maybe I'm just being too hard on myself. But, like, you know, mostly putting advice out there for people. Like, there's nobody that's, like, naturally good at public public speaking and public presentations, Nobody is naturally good at these things. There's only people who were bad when you weren't around. Right. That's great. Um, I like that. And I say that about like most like acquired skills, right? People are natural dancers. No, there's only dancers who were bad <laughs> when, you know, years before you saw them. <laughs> right. Um, uh, you know, Gifted, naturally good magicians, like sleight of hand magicians. No, they're, they were really bad when they first started and you just weren't there to watch them. So, um, the same thing with public presentations, you just, you have to get the bad out of the way, like as quickly as possible. Um, and that's the other thing I always say, like people are always, you know, concerned that like, Hey, I'm going to give this presentation the first time. I'm concerned that I'm going to be bad at it. Don't be concerned. You're definitely going to be bad at it. <laughs> you just have to get the, the bad ones out of the way early yeah. uh, so that you're good when it matters. And don't right? take it personal from John. I mean, this is all part of his uh, educational canon from the John White School of Mentoring. And of course, if you'd like to <laughs> sign up for that, please contact me at Nerd Journey. We could talk about pricing and packaging. But before I go chasing the squirrel, what I will say, John, the whole getting the bad out, people were bad, you know, before you saw them. That's actually a really good segue into the next segment. Absolutely. Yeah. So we were going to be talking about imposter syndrome. And I want you to kind of like, I, you like sold me on this as a really good topic. I mean, I think I wanted you to take the lead on this topic. It hit you, I think, harder than it hit me. You found the article, you you reacted to it, you, you wrote your own article. So why don't you take the lead on imposter syndrome? Okay. So let's start here, John. What do you think imposter syndrome is? Hmm. I think it, See how it in my off. mind. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's really good. That's a part of the, uh, the lesson. Give me some time to think, right? <laughs> no. It, so for me, it is being concerned that you are not actually good at what it is that you're being asked to do your day-to-day job or some, uh, ex, you know, specific task and, the fear of that, that you're just fooling everyone and that you're about to be found out as a fraud, as a pretender, um, when you are actually, you know, um, solid at what you're doing. Yeah, I would say that's good. And if you think about the conference speaker session thing that we just talked about, imagine if you're the person in the audience and you see John White up there presenting and you see this guy who 
puts up three slides. He doesn't need a script. He doesn't mumble. It seems pretty natural. Man, that guy did a really great job. And you, you start to focus on all the things you're not good at for whatever reason. When you see what good looks like, a lot of times you're reflecting upon yourself and thinking, oh, man, I could never do that. I don't, I don't think, you know, if I was asked to do that, I just don't think I'd be that good. And so you get this perception of how good other people are or how much better they are than you. And you start to focus on on negative things. And it's even worse when you get asked to do something you're not sure you can do. You know, when you get to that next big challenge, I'll give you an example. So one of my biggest fears, and I actually told this to a coworker at our offsite the other day. I said, you know what, man? One of my biggest fears has been that I'm going to ask you a question that you think I should already know the answer to, and you're going to think I'm an idiot. And he said, really? He said, I would never think that. And I said, I don't know why I thought that, but just I was afraid that I was going to ask some question and you were going to be having the attitude, well, Nick, you should already know that. I don't understand why you don't know that. So a little Mm -hmm. imposter syndrome there. You know, you Mm -hmm. you don't want to be the guy who goes in to talk to the customer about product XYZ and they look at you and say, well, you work for VMware. You don't know this. How come I know more than you do? (laughs) You know what I mean? Because you, yeah, you've met yeah. those customers who probably know more than you do. Sure. So it's it can be intimidating. And maybe part of it is intimidation. But I, I think that, you know, when I saw Cody DeArkland's blog not too long ago, I read that a couple of times. I'm like, man, that is so, so true. So many people, <laughs> you know, dive into new challenges. And I, I think it's more... A problem, and this is just my theory. I think it's more of a problem for those people who who have experienced some success already, so they know they, they get some validation from that. But that they they reach a new level, and then more is expected from them, or something different is expected from them, and they have real trouble meeting the expectations, or they feel like they're having trouble meeting the expectations and causes this internal struggle with doubt and fear and anxiety. Can I really do this? You know, I I gave the example of of golf and I don't know if you follow it or not, but they would have this title of the best player to have never won a major. And Phil Nicholson Mm. carried that one for a while. You know, the media put it on him as if the guy wasn't out there trying to win tournaments already. One of the four majors <laughs> is more difficult, right? Because it means right, right. cream of the crop. And he eventually did win one. But if you look at those athletes' patterns after they win one, it seems that their performance levels off a little bit and kind of goes down. Because after you win one of those, oh, that's interesting. You, you get this massive validation and success, but you want to go and do it again, right? You don't want to stop there. You want to win a second one. And if I can't win a second one, does that mean that I'm somehow not qualified or, or I'm not good at this or this isn't the, what I need to be doing? Was it just luck? All those thoughts are the types of things that, that play into what imposter syndrome will do to someone. Right. Right. Have you ever had that kind of feeling, John? Did, did that ever hit you when when moving from customer? I think you worked at a at a VAR, right? Yeah. So I initially worked at a customer, right? I was a customer, and then I worked for a distributor. Um, 
And so it was a, you know, a similar ramp where I, you know, represented VMware um, via the distributor to, to resellers. And, you know, they had questions and I, you know, sometimes they had questions about products that, you know, virtually every time they asked about, you know, VDI, you know, I had like a 100 level understanding of VDI and it stopped there. So, you know, I was like, man, I'm, am I getting away with something by, you know, presenting myself as a VMware expert when, you know, there's this whole segment of VMware that I don't really know much about, um, you know, above and beyond, you know, XYZ. And then I could just rattle off, you know, what was really like a 200 level understanding of, of VDI. Right. And then, um, so it definitely happened. And I'll refer back to, uh, Cody's post. Like there's a, there's a, um, an errant science.com, uh, circle graph, right. A circle chart, um, at the top of it. And it's like partitioned off into three pieces. Um, and the first piece, you know, the key says like, this represents people who get imposter syndrome. And then this other piece represents other people who also get imposter syndrome. And the third piece is literally everyone else. They also get imposter syndrome, right? Everyone feels like an imposter sometimes and that's okay. Um, that feeling like, geez, am I, you know, am I fooling somebody? Like maybe I don't belong here. Like that happens to everybody. You get uncomfortable and you know, that it, it just is okay. I don't know that we have like any, like one thing that we can say to people that's, uh, you know, that will solve that problem that, that, you know, can be paralyzing. And, you know, if it rises to that paralyzation problem, like that, you know, that you can seek help from other people, you know, and, and hopefully you can take comfort that everybody feels that way. Um, but if you don't like, you know, maybe you need like some, some stronger, like one-on-one guidance, Right. And it doesn't necessarily have to be from a coworker or a, a peer at your company, like somebody else, you know, reach out. Um, we're all part of a community and we can all tell you, you know, that we've all felt that way and it's okay. And, and I'll actually even go like above and beyond that and just say, like, if you are comfortable, you're not growing, right? You cannot be 100% comfortable and and also be expanding your skill set. You have to be uncomfortable to be growing. So that feeling of like, maybe I don't belong here is, is a, a type of discomfort, which means that you are in a position to grow. Um, I don't know if that actually helps anybody, um, but it is a reframing of discomfort. Yeah, that's good. I actually, I love the picture you referenced, but I like this other one closer to the bottom there's mm-hmm. this giant circle and a small circle inside it. This is what I know. And the giant circle <laughs> that encompasses the small circle says what I think other people know. And it, it's all about perception. And then it, then it shows, right, right. you know, the intersection of what I know and what other people know. And there is a, a smaller intersection there and it's not as, right. as big as it seems. So, well, I think the difference between those is like the relative size of those circles, right? What other people know is about the same as what you know, right? Mm-hmm. And there's this overlap, right? And it's not, you know, it, it can be true. Like <laughs> that, uh, you know, you're, what people expect you to know, you know, can be a superset of what you actually know. And even that's okay, right? Yep. Um you know, I'm a solutions engineer at VMware and I represent like that first line of technical, um, you know, detail and competence to my customers, but that doesn't mean that, 
you know, I know everything about VMware and that's okay. They might expect me to, <laughs> but you know, I like, I, it's almost, you know, part of my job to like, you know, change those expectations. Like, no, I don't know everything about every single product at VMware. I, at, you know, a 400, you know, PhD level like that, that is impossible. Well, I'm disappointed. <laughs> don't be, <laughs> <laughs> let me reset those expectations for you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, I'm the, I'm, you know, the, that first line, right. Right. The front line of, uh, of, uh, technical people to talk to. And one of the amazing things about this role is that like over time, like w- what we bring to the table is, you know, who to talk to about those things. Yeah. There's a bunch of questions that I can answer right now. And, for every question that I can't answer, like one of the strengths that I have is I know who to ask, you know, to, to find, you know, answers and, you know, answers to the questions that you're asking and answers to the questions that you didn't know to ask. Right. That's the strength of a team. There you go. So, yeah. So do you think that maybe people are not setting the right expectations of themselves as they, seek out a new challenge or pursue something different than they've done before? Have they not set those expectations so that they can feel a little uncomfortable without freaking out? Yeah. I, I mean, hopefully um, we can help to reset that um, idea of where you should be. Like the idea that you should know everything and be comfortable is a false idea. If if somebody planted that seed or you had that idea about the position that you're in, then uh, like, you know, let's, you know, hopefully dissuade you about, you know, that being the right idea. <laughs> yeah. Right. That, that is not, that's not where you should be. Um, you should be constantly growing, constantly pushing the boundaries, uh, slightly uncomfortable. You know, one of the skills that uh, we actually look for and cultivate is um, the idea of being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. Oh, the it idea absolutely that, does. Yeah, that you're you're slightly uh, beyond your current capabilities, and you're okay with that. You know, you're you're constantly moving the boundaries of what your current capabilities are. You know, forward by being a little bit over your skis. You know, a little bit out further stretching just a little bit, you know, just enough to grow. And, um, right. That's, that's the key. Like you, you need to, you need to be stretching. You need to be growing. So, and I, I think it actually goes back to Simon Sinek's start with why, because if you think about why you're doing that, John, why are you stretching yourself? Why are you trying to grow? Why are you pushing a little bit more? Is it for the accolades and the attention and to become nerd famous? Because I mean, come on, John, we all know you want to become nerd famous. I mean, (laughs) I've heard you say it lots of times. (laughs) He's joking. That's that's how he got on the round table podcast, everybody nerd fame. Oh my goodness. I'm just just messing with John because it's fun. No, that's that. Are you trying to trigger one of my famous rants about how, uh, uh, what everybody should want is fortune, not fame. Why would you want? <laughs> why would you want fame instead of fortune? You should want fortune, not fame. There you go. <laughs> well, I was just thinking that maybe in our individual pursuits, we are not measuring success properly. You know, I mean, mm. obviously, some part of the success is reaching that goal, but 
the pathway you take to get there and the experiences you have along the way help shape you and grow you so that you can meet that goal and succeed. You know, it's, it's not always about the, the prize at the end. You're probably going to fail at something. If you haven't failed at something yet, then I'm shocked because I think we probably all have. That's actually a, a, a danger sign mm-hmm. if you've never failed at anything, right? Um, yep. Like another process of getting better is to fail at things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, find out what those mistakes, what those pitfalls are. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like uh, <laughs> I, I remember that exact thing. Uh, man, I, I think I uh, I have a blog post about something like a, a technical thing that I overcame and it, you know, is installing like networking or something in vSphere. And there's some weird like quirk of like, if you do this and set this, the defaults don't like flow back. And I, I just, it was so frustrating to debug. And then, um, you know, I wrote it and, uh, you know, several people, like I, I still get like, you know, hits and comments and notes and like, yeah, thanks. That's exactly, you know, the, the problem that I ran into. And then I think I remember taking like a certification exam and something at some point in time. And like, just like that exact situation was basically the question, like, Hey, if this didn't work, like what, what would you have, uh, what were the things that you would consider? Right. And it was like, tailor-made basically for anybody who's ever installed vSphere and then changed the networking. And, you know, I was like, oh, like if you've never failed at that, you would not know the answer to this question, you know? And and it's almost like this filter, right? This like a badge of honor is this type of failure. And there's an infinite number of those things, right? Oh, Have yeah. you ever mess this up have you messed up x have you messed up y have you messed up z you know we have to break it to be able to fix it and learn about it right yeah isn't that the mantra yeah yeah it's it's actually one of those things where um i actually have a lot of respect for the technical support engineers um I had a extended discussion with one once and he you know the he told me about his job and he's like, you get to see the products when they work perfectly. And I get to see them like in those edge cases when something's gone wrong and a customer has configured something in a really strange way, or we have, or something, you know, they've come across a bug. Like I get to see the edge cases and those, those strains and, you know, the failures. Right. And, um, and, it it just struck me as like, oh, those people get to grow in a completely different way, right? And that debugging, um, discovering bugs and discovering misconfigurations and edge issues. It's just fascinating. Like, uh, you know, I'm not sure that I'd ever have the, the stomach for that, but you can imagine like they have to live with a completely different set of discomfort, right? Representing, um, you know, uh, a company whose uh, products like sometimes go out with bugs in them. Like, uh, guess what? Impossible to release a bug free product. Right. Um, So I don't believe um, it. You know, and you know, VMware as an organization is not an imposter organization. Like we put out good product, you know, so it's, it's a really interesting, uh, this entire topic I find fascinating. So um, 
I, I, man, I, maybe the problem, you know, my issue is that, you know, it didn't hit me as hard is that I hopefully have made that, um, that switch where I am comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, and you know, that is kind of where I live all the time. And, uh, and I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's where I'm at. Right. And any listeners out there, you should just hashtag John with Iceman because he is Iceman. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. You know, no, I, you know, I look back and I, have I had panic moments? I'm like, oh, geez, I don't know anything about that. You know, I don't know. That's like, you know, maybe where that ego comes in and kicks in. You go like, you know, geez, I don't know anything about that. You know, give me six weeks. I'll teach you, teach you a, a seminar on it. Right. And, um, like how fast can we spin up on things like that? That's another, like, you know, aspect to our job is like, you know, how much of a self learner are you? How much can you, you know, read the manual and learn about the thing or, you know, watch videos of other people doing presentations and, and, uh, internalize that information and, and, and turn around and present it again. Um, at a, you know, 100, 150, 200 level that, you know, that's, that's, you have to be okay with presenting it and, you know, saying, Hey, you know, I just learned about this thing and now I want to inform you a little bit about some of these things that I just learned. Right. Am I an expert at it? No, like I, you know, I don't need to be, I just need to be more of an expert at you than you and, and help you along your journey. Right. Right. So. And you're doing it to be helpful sense. and not to say, oh, I'm awesome and I'm super smart and hashtag me with Iceman, you know. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like it's not an ego thing. It's just a, a knowledge transfer thing, right? Right. So I want to go back to one other thing and, and then we'll, we can stop talking, I guess. But you were talking about the difference that people in the support organization have in terms of exposure to the products versus someone like us. So Mm -hmm. they get all these different experiences, right? And and as you're in this arena of career or role, you get all these experiences. When I was a high school math teacher, my students used to ask me, you know, what's the point of this? Why are we doing this? Why are we studying about quadratic equations? Or why are we why are we doing it four different ways? And I said, well, you know, the math is really about exposure. It's about exposing yeah. you to different types of problems so you can figure out how to solve problems. And if you can figure out how to solve problems, then you've learned something. So, right. But it's that relatable experience. You know, you've seen something over here and you've seen something over there and you can relate to it. So I wonder if a way to combat the imposter syndrome that we sometimes get in a new position, new role on a new project is to draw out that relatable experience that we would use in a job interview, you know, because you're going to use relatable experience to try and get that next job from your previous role is there something mm-hmm. you're doing today or need to do that somehow relates to something you've done before? Maybe it's a little bit different, but could you use some of that to help you now to help you succeed now? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and that even triggers like something in my mind, which might be like a, a slightly different restatement of what um, you're saying. Like it's the, I don't remember if this is the exact term, but it's called the the beginner's mind. I think, and and maybe I'm not even thinking about it correctly of what that phrase means, but, uh, you know, whenever I think about it, you know, I 
went through a process of learning a skill. Jeez. You know, I don't know if I'll bring this up every single podcast, but it's like, it's one of my hobbies for a long time was swing dancing, you know? So, um, don't roll your eyes at me. We're, we're going to have to stream to video and put that in the show notes in one of the podcasts. Like our viewers need to see your moves. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, don't Google it. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, I, I went, I was really bad at it. So that's one of those, you know, reasons. And I think it's actually where I originated that phrase, like, don't worry, you know, come out and go swing dancing. Uh, you know, what, and people would say, what if I'm really bad at it? And I would say, don't worry, you will be. I think that's actually where I originated that, that idea. Um, or where it first came to me, or maybe somebody said it to me first. Um, but, uh, I think, at a certain point, like I really like, em, you know, embrace that idea of like, man, I'm really bad at this and that's okay. Cause I'm going to get better and I'm going to get better and I'm going to get better. And maybe after that, like the idea of being a beginner wasn't so scary anymore or not being skilled at it not being an expert yet. You know, the idea, maybe that was the birth of the, the, the journeyman mindset for me, you know, like I've, I'm okay with, you know, being an apprentice and then I'll progress to the, you know, being a journeyman, um, on that, that path to mastery, not, not having gotten there yet. Um, and, um, after that, you know, like I think, okay, so this triggered yet another thought is the smart kid syndrome, right? Um, I remember reading an article about this. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of thoughts. I thought I didn't have anything to say about this. Got him talking folks. You heard it here. (laughs) is uh the idea of like uh kids when um it's a problem that like smart kids have when they're young as being the smartest kid in the room at something you know or being perceived as smart like you never want to do anything that you're not already good at because then you won't be perceived as smart um and that is a problem uh so anybody who's, you know, maybe in that technology field, like we've all grown up being like the smart kid and we don't want to ever be in a situation where we're bad at something in front of people. Um, and you have to get over that in order to be good at it, uh, good at things. You have to be bad at them first. Um, and it's all new stuff. Man. So you want to just go ahead and drop your mic because I don't think I can compare to that one. I, I think you win. <laughs> you win with that. I actually really like that. You're, you're so right on. Yeah. So it's a couple of different things like strung together there and it's like, maybe it's the same talking points I'll use over and over again, you know, but, um, right. It'll go in your top five highlight reel. (laughs) Being uncomfortable. That's the, you know, the only place that you time that you grow, um, being okay with being bad in front of people because like, you know, we're in this trap of needing, because of ego to be perceived at being as being good at things. Like it's the intersection of those two things. Um, and it might not be that for everybody, you know, honestly, it might be like a psychological condition and an anxiety condition for people that, you know, you need to go to therapy to, to, to get help with like that. There's no shame in that either, you know? So, um, you know, a number of, uh, different thoughts there. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, if you're someone who's struggling with imposter syndrome and you don't have anybody to talk to, we'll talk to you. DM at Nerd Journey. Uh, You know, we may not be able to give you all the help you need, but if you just need a listening ear, I'm sure John or myself could provide that for you. Heck yeah. Yep. Heck yeah.
Awesome. So we about ready to wrap on that? I think so. Very cool. I think uh, that's the opening salvo and a long running conversation about, you know, self-improvement. Imposter syndrome is a big part of that. And, and overcoming that is, you know, one of the, you know, the major roadblocks that we, we all needed to, to kind of get over to, to get on that path to, uh, to uh, improvement, you know, career Absolutely. advancement. Awesome. Well, um, I think that's all the topics we had planned. So uh, anything else pop in your mind while we were chatting? Just a reminder to everybody that we certainly want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to us. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. Yeah, so farewell listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at B Journeyman for Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore. Signing off. Adios. Adios.